0: Well, first I just wanna say Merry Christmas and welcome to all of you that are visiting us here at PCC today. One thing that you'll know for sure as soon as you enter through those doors is that you've arrived around people that have truly discovered and experienced the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. Because they are loving, they're excited about coming together, getting to know you, and helping you to get to know Jesus. And so we're just so excited if you're just visiting us today that you get to experience that. Uh, today, for those of you who are, uh, have your Bibles with you, and if not, there's some Bibles under the seat in front of you, we'll be in Mark chapter 8. And we're going to be going through verses 27 through 28 this morning. And as you can tell, it says, the living the normal Christian life. And this is what we're going to be discussing. And what is the normal Christian life really, right? I mean, is it coming every Sunday to church at 10 a.m., listening to sermons? Is it making sure that not only on Sunday you come, but you plug something else during the rest of the week just to check that box off? What is it, in fact, that the normal Christian life requires, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, because I believe that in Mark chapter 8, where we're going to see, the Lord shows us what the normal Christian life is really about, and the normal Christian life, the main idea of today's message, involves dying to self that we may find life in Christ. This morning we are going to spend some time in Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 38. And we will notice this, that Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant in Mark. He clearly presents Jesus as the Son of God, the Lord. As people revived by God's word, that's you and I, those who have come to faith in Christ, we must understand three key points that you'll see here in a minute and that we'll unpack in today's message. The first is we must know and confess who Jesus is. The second, we must learn and affirm the ways of God, not of man. And the third, we must understand and accept that Jesus calls us to die. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 27 to 38. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Amen, right? Today, friends, there's a faulty perspective of Jesus that is extremely dangerous. And it exists right here within the Christian church. Here and abroad. David Platt writes about this perspective in his book, Radical, where he says... We American Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we are more comfortable with. A nice middle class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and that would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who is fine with normal nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. As a Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. Those are some tough words to swallow, right? But the truth is, is that that's what's going on in our churches today. This is the kind of Jesus that we seem to want to follow or seem to create and design. But this is the thing, my friends. The Bible's going to show us today in Mark that any fair and honest reading of Scripture will reveal that this is not who Jesus is and this is not what Jesus demands of us. Jesus says, die and then follow me. This text that we'll be reading this morning provides the answer to three crucial questions that we must answer. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And what does he expect of you and of me as a result? Our Lord explains that the normal Christian life looks like, or what the normal Christian life looks like, and what it means to follow a king who came to die and serve and who calls his followers to die and serve as well. And so first, if we're to really consider what is required of us in the normal Christian life, what does it look like in the normal Christian life for us to live out our walk with Christ? First, we will see that the normal Christian life requires you and I to know and personally confess Who Jesus is. Look at verse 27 and 30. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others said, Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. I'll leave it there. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is the inescapable question asked by Jesus in verse 27 that we just read. Who is Jesus? He's asking him, who am I? It is the inescapable question we must answer today right here among us if we're to call ourselves followers of Christ. Our eternity depends on it after all, because if Jesus is who he claims to be, then we must surrender our lives for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of his glory. Here we see that Jesus asks a straightforward question. He doesn't want there to be any confusion at all. There are no muddy waters here. Jesus asked clearly in verse 27, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? The 12 disciples have thought about this already, intently, this very question about who is this man, in fact, who, who is Jesus really? Because back in Mark chapter 4, verse 11, they saw this man, Jesus, come and control the storm in the sea. And so they had already been thinking about, okay, who is this really? Who is this Jesus person? So the disciples give the popular views of Jesus that were circulating at the time, if you notice. Some agreed with Herod that Jesus was some kind of reincarnation of John the Baptist. And others that uh, he was Elijah, the prophetic forerunner of the anticipated day of the Lord. Others even said that he was one of the prophets that Moses was discussing in Deuteronomy 18, 15 and 18. But we see that all of these answers, friends, are, they're, they're good. They're pretty good answers. I mean, it, it would be pretty great if he was John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. But all of these answers, notice, applaud Jesus while denying who he really is. This inescapable question demands an accurate an acceptable answer. There's only one acceptable answer to this question about who Jesus truly is. And Jesus shifts the question from the general knowledge of who do people say that I am to who do you say that I am so that we can arrive at the biblical answer of, in fact, who is Jesus? He asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And friends, he is asking them, but he is also asking us here today, who do you say that I am? Who do I say that Jesus is? Who do you over there say that Jesus is? Who is he really to you? How do you embrace him? We must know and confess who Jesus is. We must reject all other versions of Jesus in our lives that we have wrongly designed is what we're noticing here in Scripture. The Bible is clear. Jesus was not just a good man. Jesus was not a mere prophet. Jesus was not just a historical figure. Jesus is the son of the living and mighty powerful God. I don't think you heard me. (laughs) Jesus is the son of God sent to die on a cross for us. That's who Jesus is. The Son of the Living and Mighty Powerful God. And so the Bible is clear. If Mark's gospel gives us an accurate declaration of who Jesus is, in all of Mark, starting from the very beginning, you see in, in Mark 1, verse 1, we see that Jesus is declared as Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. In Mark 1, verse 11, we see that God the Father declares that. Jesus is his beloved son and whom he takes delight in. And in Mark 1, verse 24, we see that even, check this out, even the demons call Jesus the Holy One of God. Even the demons know who he is. In Mark 5, verse 7, we see that he refers to Jesus as the son of the most high God. Jesus is God. Say it with me. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And we must personally confess that he is God. The normal Christian life requires that the believer acknowledge this truth. And I ask you today, as we're sitting here worshiping our Lord, getting into the word, learning about more about who he is and what he came to do, Have you personally in your life confessed and embraced that truth that Jesus is God? He is not just a man. He is not just a prophet. Jesus is God, and he is worthy of our praise. Secondly, we understand, if we're to understand anything about what the normal Christian life requires of us, those who call themselves followers of Christ, disciples of the truth, The normal Christian life requires us to learn and affirm the ways of God, not of man. Look at verse 31 and 32. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, which Every time I say that last part, I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, Peter rebuking Jesus. Are you kidding me right now? Because when you really think about it, I mean, you see this guy. He's seen Jesus control the weather, for crying out loud. And he dares take him aside and rebuke him. Come on. But listen to this. Don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this there are major implications to confessing that Jesus is God. It's not just a mere understanding. Understanding and confessing that Jesus is God means that the normal Christian life requires us to learn and affirm the ways of God, not of man. The first half of Mark focuses on who Jesus is and the gospel tells us that the king has come and our response is to repent and to believe. In the very first confession... Of who he is comes from one of his own disciples, from Peter. Peter said, You are the Messiah. And so we've learned who Jesus is. Now we're going to learn what he came to do. The gospel tells us that Jesus is a king that came to die, he is a king that came to die. I don't know about you, but I haven't met another king on this earth that is willing to step down from his throne and die for me. Our response is to take up our cross then and follow him, this king who came to die. We see that a king who dies, though, is not what they expected or what they wanted. And if we were to be honest about our own life, a king who came to die... Is not what we expect and it's not what we want many times when we come to worship the king. A king who came to die? If we were to really embrace and believe that we are worshiping and following a king who came to die on the cross and take the penalty of our sin on himself, then that would really change our life. In verse 31 and 32, we learn that God's ways are often hard, but they're always clear. Jesus begins a new chapter in the disciples' education and in our education here today as we're reading this word. And it is time for them to graduate. It's time for us to graduate, even if we're not ready. Even if we're not ready. We're in a season right here in PCC where Pastor Craig is encouraging us, praying for us. And and pleading with God for for, for our sake, that we take the next step in obedience in our walk. And this is, in fact, what's going on right here in this picture of Jesus discipling his disciples. He's beginning a new chapter in their education. And they're not ready, but they're going to take that next step. Jesus is the Christ who will usher in an eternal kingdom over which he will rule as king and lord. Isn't that amazing just to contemplate? That we get to be a part of the family of God, of the king of kings, who is going to usher in an eternal kingdom over which he will rule as king and lord, and we will be his subjects. But more than that, we will be sitting at his table. However, God's ways will be different, and they often are from what a world that exalts power and authority would expect. He will suffer, and in fact did, be rejected, and in fact did and was, especially by the religious establishment, be killed and rise again in three days. And we understand that all of this must happen and did happen, and it was necessary for it to happen It is what Scripture actually promised, that this, my friend, this, what Jesus came to do, the king who came to die, this is what sin's payment demands and we cannot provide. And so God took it into his own hands. This is where the law of God and the love of God will meet. This is where the judgment of God and the grace of God embrace If we rob the word must of its meaning, we empty the gospel and the cross of its glory. God's ways are often hard, but they're clear. God's will is often a challenge, but it is perfect for us, perfect for you, perfect for me. Look at verse 32 and 33. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Notice that Peter was on board with Jesus being the Messiah. He was on board with that. Peter was not on board, however, with Jesus going to the cross. He wasn't on board with it. You know why he wasn't on board with it? Because it makes things real. It makes things real. Jesus going to the cross makes things real. Jesus bleeding out and dying for his sake makes things real. Because then it's going to require Peter, it's going to require you and I to make some sort of commitment. It's going to require us to understand, wow, this is real. The king came to die and die he did. And so what now? As Jesus rebuked the demons in Mark 3, verse 12, Peter now rebuked Jesus. And I'm thinking, bad call, Peter. I mean, this is Jesus Christ you're talking to. You've seen this man's power at work, and you're going to rebuke him again. Not a good look on Peter, right? But if we were to be fair and honest, any one of us would probably have done the same thing. Just like Peter, just like Peter, just like Peter, friends. We want a Jesus, we, myself included, want a Jesus that fits our agenda. We think we know what kind of Messiah Jesus needs to be. We, we attempt to reshape and redefine him in, in, into the, our conception and our selfish ambitions. Give me a Jesus that I can control, we say, right? Right? One that can be made in my likeness, that serves me and my needs, that glorifies me and my wants. Have this Jesus fit into my impossible schedule. Let him serve me. Yes. (laughs) Right? Let him serve me. Let him be my personal servant and not my personal savior. And the answer to this is no. How can it be? You and I must learn and affirm the ways of God and not of man. We, we may not fully understand it, the whole picture. It may not be easy or safe to serve Jesus and to follow him, especially in today's society where we're being pulled in so many different directions and, in fact, being hated for what we believe. About the king who came to die? But it will, however, be best. In fact, Romans 12 verse 2 tells us that it will be perfect. It will be perfect. That is something to be happy about. And finally, friends, we see that the normal Christian life requires us to understand and accept that Jesus calls us to die. Jesus calls us to die. See, God's ways are often hard, but they're usually clear. And they are challenging, but they're always perfect. We are confident that God's will is perfect, even if it might not be safe. We embrace Jesus' call to follow him and to die in order that we and others may find life. In order that we and others may live in our homes, at our jobs, at our schools, wherever it is that we go, we embrace Jesus' call to die because we understand that something about us dying to ourselves and imitating our Savior and walking our life of faith attracts people to his unending and irresistible love. And it changes their life. And so we follow him. And we must be excited to fully surrender our lives to the Lord. It's something exciting. Because you know why? It is the only way the lost and the hopeless will truly discover and experience the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. As we die slowly to ourselves more and more each day, with each choice, With each decision, with each word of love instead of hate, as we die to ourselves, the king is exalted, and others find life in Christ. And so, what in fact gets put to death in the normal Christian life, you ask? Talking a lot about death, so what gets put to death? Well, good thing verse 34 tells us. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so, what is God saying right here? He is saying, God is essentially saying that the normal Christian life requires the believer to put the self centered life to death. That's what he's talking about. He is telling us clearly that we must deny ourselves. The sad part is that in this day and age, the normal Christian life seems pretty radical. Seems pretty radical. We're not willing to deny ourselves. We're living in the United States of America, for crying out loud. We have everything that we could ever want, need, or dream of at our fingertips. Why should we have to deny ourselves? Is what we live like. But we understand that if we are to be good disciples of Jesus Christ, that we will deny ourselves. And firstly, what is it that we deny? We give up our right to self-determination. That's a strong thing Jesus is putting on the line. But remember that this is in fact the king that reigned in heaven and stepped down. And was made flesh to die for you on the cross. So I think that we can give up our right to self determination for the king who died. We must live instead as Christ directs us to live. We must treasure and value Jesus more than ourselves. We must put to death the idol of I, 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 and everything that we do and think and say. And secondly, we must take up our cross and die. Luke 9 verse 23 adds the word daily, that we must die daily because the normal Christian life requires us to die to ourselves daily, to imitate Christ daily. This is not normal, friends. This is not even natural what Jesus is asking us to do. But thankfully, he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish his great feat. And so verse 35 says that for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is making it very clear. The normal Christian life requires the believer to put to death the safe life. He's telling us we got to put to death the safe life. The one who plays it safe and considers his existence more important than Jesus, will lose both Jesus and eternal life. The stakes are so high for everybody. And in contrast, though, the one who gives his life for Jesus and the gospel will actually save it. will save it. And so, friends, following Jesus, it does require us to risk it all. Safety, security, satisfaction in this world— the comforts of this world, everything that we desire in this world. But you know what? He promises us that it leads us to a reward this world can never fully satisfy, a reward that's much greater waiting for us. And not only the eternal promise of heaven And the future promise of heaven, but the peace and the joy and the love that we've spoken about in this season that he offers to us right now, that we have access to right now, if we but accept and believe and embrace the gospel. There is life worth giving for the glory of God. And the glory of the gospel, we die to ourselves so that others might live. Because that's in fact what the king did. He died so that others might live. It's a simple message, but it's hard. But I'm here to tell you today, as somebody that has been changed, as somebody that has fully embraced, as somebody that has discovered and has experienced the life-changing love of Jesus Christ, and you can find somebody right next to you as well that has, that it is fully worth it. It is fully worth it. When the king comes to live in your heart, it is fully worth it. He gives you joy and peace that you'll never have. He gives you so much joy and so much love to fill all those voids and holes in your life that you're trying to fill with something else that you'll never need for nothing more in your life than the king to live in your heart. And lastly, friends, as we get ready to respond to the Lord, J.I. Packer says this, There are, in fact, two motives that should spur us constantly to evangelize. The first is love to God and concern for his glory. The second is love to man and concern for his welfare. David Platt says this, We will day or two trust in God, and we will do it with his joy unspeakable, singing aloud in our hearts, We will 8,000 times sooner die trusting only in our God than living trusting in man. And my challenge to us today is to realize that this is the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is anything but normal. The normal Christian life is not comfortable. See, if you're visiting today, I'm not promising you that when you give your heart and surrender yourself and embrace Jesus and the truth of the gospel, that somehow things are going to get easy. They may just get harder. But I do promise you this, that you will be eternally held and secured by the love of Jesus, the King who came to die and purchase your love and your heart on the cross. And that you will be welcomed into a community of people who have been truly changed and transformed by that love. And that you in return will be able to give that love to the world that in such need, there's such helplessness and hopelessness out there. And we the church, as we die to ourselves, the normal Christian life requires us to die so that others may live. And I challenge you today, As you go out into the world, to begin dying to yourself little by little each day and giving your heart to the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you.